Thank you for the segue. Uh, we are going to begin tonight's D&D adventure on the lowest tier of Gaim, the royal tier, the clockwork tier, as Owlin steps out of the palace, the um, where, where there is a sort of bunker that has been protecting Laredith, the avatar of Awara. Uh, at the end of our last session, you had come to the conclusion that you needed to regroup with really all of the stakeholders, right? The whole four, four guys, Ventures and Vibes team and figure mm. out what your next step is. Do you go searching for Kay and try to complete the cataclysmic ritual or do you use the access to magic that the Rod of Seven Parts gets you to try and protect Gaim, which is under siege and an imminent threat. And when you last left, you had told the queen, like, hey, I don't know what we're going to do, but I'll talk to the people about it. And so as Alan steps out of the palace, Laredith left behind, continuing to disassemble her machine in case we do leave so that she can bring that with you. Um, and probably Randy is down there helping, I would guess. Yep. Um, your, your head of cool stuff for R&D. So you leave those two behind. You step out into the fenced-in courtyard of Salen's Palace. And where last time you were here, this lowest tier was sort of a bustling celebration of art and precision uh, artifice. Now it is. it looks a lot like your campaign against Stainless way back when you were in the army did. As far as soldiers moving back and forth, there are little barricades being made, you know, carts and spare materials being flipped on their sides, posted up towards the entrances to make sure that there are sight lines and lanes and ways to evacuate the wounded and all the different preparations that you do in a city that's under siege. All of those things are happening around you. You look over and you see a number of um, probably civilians, you know, people who are not in uniform but are helping kind of stack up supplies and crates and boxes by the walls. Um, presumably, you know, ammunition or, or something like that. And as you leave that area and you head towards the Gemstone Hall, which has access to the Verticulator that will take you back up to the 10th tier where the rest of your party is, take us into Alan's head. You know, he's, he's processing, he's thinking about this, um, but he's also taking in the scenes of, you know, there's a, there's a battle coming. And, and what is that like for him, that kind of surreal deja vu experience? Um, Alan is conflicted because he feels for the people of Gaim, he feels for the queen in that, like, yeah, it, it, we, four guys has access to resources that have a chance to change the tide of this besiegement and uh, you know if they took an opportunity to counterattack, you know in a surprise move they could drive off the enemies for just the right amount of time or he's he's like he's he's considering all these ideas like if we were to side with queens with is queen salen right yeah. i'm not saying that wrong uh these are the he's considering these are all these options but he has this sinking feeling that there's a chance that it couldn't matter that it wouldn't matter um and that is what he is preparing himself to bring to everyone else uh, um this is such a weighty decision that there's no way he would want to take it upon himself to make it he wants everyone's voice to be heard 
um, in the company on this, and um, it needs to be a group decision uh, because this this decision of whether to stay and fight or to leave, um, in Alan's mind, it will decide. Like making the right decision will decide the fate of Urida. So he's wrestling with that. His mind is is racing um, mm-hmm. as he reaches the reticulator. Yeah, and carrying that pressure with him up ten floors, um, you almost ghost through. You know, each gemstone hall on each tier. There's a, a changeover as you get into the next reticulator to go from, you know, one to two, two to three, three to four, and so on and so forth. Kind of ghosting your way through the um, gemstone halls which have been repurposed to be food banks and so you know there's there's just food and supplies being handed out to civilians um, it's all being rationed you know food stores are low and so you're you're kind of walking through this you know big reminder of of the state of things in Gaim as you make it to the 10th tier where four guys ventures and vibes have anchored their airship the uh, SS happy orc otherwise known as the Cugboat by kind of chaining it to one of the the large bridges or walkways that connect city blocks here. Um, You step outside, and it's not exactly what you expect in that the ground around and underneath of the four guys' airship is completely cleared, where before it was packed with refugee tents. There now is like a wide berth being given to the four guys' airship, and you see several dead bodies on the ground beneath it. and as you as you walk over, the, the rope ladder has been pulled up into the airship, so there's only the anchor that's hanging down. Um, eventually, looking up towards the ship, you do see uh, the, the shining um, sensor full face of FP-62 kind of peek over the side as if he's, you know, checking what's going on. And so that's the first person that you that you see. Uh, hello. Uh, could could you bring me up? Uh, yes. Are you incapable of walking? I will get the ladder and carry you up. Uh, One no, moment. Uh, I mean, uh, just lower the ladder. I do not need assistance on the ladder. Thank you. Certainly. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you. And um, I toss the rope ladder over. As Alan's climbing, he'll he'll ask, uh, "What what what happened to these people?" <laughs> and he'll point down yeah. to the dead bodies. Uh, it appears blunt force trauma. And other weapon inflictions have uh, killed them. Uh, what What was the reasoning behind that? Um, they were bad. Mm. Alan nods his head and continues up the yeah. Uh, as Alan the gets to ladder. the top of the rope ladder, having this conversation, you see that the glass windows of the old spa at the aft end of the airship, which you had kind of repurposed into a war room, the glass windows have been shattered and the large table has been thrown through them. And there are blood stains on the deck, although what happened to the bodies is anyone's guess as far as you're concerned. <laughs> uh, but there are blood stains on the deck and you can see that um, there are a couple of people who are doing what sure looks like the cleanup after a fight. You know, uh, Mockery is sweeping up bullet casings from where FP-62 had been posted on the on the walls and um, Fox is up there yelling at people to put things in the right places and get cover where it needs to be and and the like. And so you come up and four guys is mostly present and kind of a buzz with activity. Hi, T. Sav, we see you in the chat. Um, uh, did some friends come to visit? Alan will ask uh, uh, Fox. 
you could uh you could say that um they uh we do not kill friends sorry uh sarcasm is not my strong suit around fp here um no uh they showed up they brought a lot of gold or well in this case wingle digits and uh said something about a deal i didn't know anything about it you don't try to get off fox there are briefcases full of about a hundred thousand wingle digits uh don't don't tell me that we just killed for some money Oh, no, uh, they were going to give us the money, but it was going to be for uh, Jeb's life. Ah. And uh, I said no to that and took the money anyway. It was it oh. was never Jeb's life. Sorry, yeah, just my supposedly uh, just my negotiated for his hand, though. Well, I, not I, I don't think not that in marriage. <laughs> an actual taking. <laughs> Uh, well, is it taken care of? Are we are we good? Do we need to leave? Oh, uh, we we took off the first wave. Um, oh, so there will be more. Well, I well, don't so, know if there will so, be more. Maybe they learned their lesson. All all silliness aside, uh, you remember that debt that I paid off, that we paid uh, off a long time ago, and yes, that... I was kind of remiss about you know using company funds, and you guys were gracious enough to. Well, apparently these guys were like, nah, he still owes. Oh. And they were trying to, like, you know, I think they were probably feeling a little vengeful or spiteful, or maybe they didn't like me getting a clean getaway by paying think, off the debt or whatever. Yeah, but, I, I think everyone's a bit desperate at these times. They maybe saw it as a way of, I don't know, establishing some sort of dominance here, or yeah, I'm not sure. That seems like it, which honestly doesn't make me feel too great for the folks here if, if we've got the dead eyes, you know establishing themselves in this this area that could that's true cause problems although well we won't get into that but. climb is climb everywhere mockery has walked back onto the deck having dumped the shell casings over the side it will make no difference whether it is siege or it is not siege there's going to be crime crime always crime well uh speaking of the siege um i have something i must discuss with uh as as many members of four guys as as we can have here, um, I recently spoke with Laredith and with uh, Queen Salen, and um, we have we have some choices we need to make as far as our next move. And I I, I want all of us to be able to weigh in. Um, Everyone kind is, of passes around the missive so that you know you wind up with everybody on deck. So you've got your chiefs okay. of staff, Marcy, Zal, Joffrey, Randy is obviously downstairs. Um, yeah, the mic in it is there. Franklin Webb, Mr. Prophecy is here. Rex and Sasha step back onto the deck. Um, they, they've made their way to Gaim. Clara Albuquerque joins you. Um, she's been nice. probably stowing catering supplies or something, you know, in, in the galley, but she kind of comes back, back up to join the conversation. Um, the mountain steps up there, you know, so you kind of have this whole gathering of, of the whole four guys crew. Well, um, as I'm sure most of you know, um, the plan up to this point was to regroup here, um, gather up all the supplies and personnel we need for the cataclysmic ritual and leave with the avatars on board and find Kay. And then if directly from there, go and initiate the cataclysmic ritual. I know that most of you have been 
preparing our supplies and our ship with with these things in mind. It's been a long um, time coming. Yes, I completely agree. Um, however, after speaking with Queen Salin, um, she requested that we stay here and fight off this siege. Um, at first, I was flatly against it. In fact, Laredith warned me that that would be um, what she would immediately ask us to do. And in the moment I was, in that moment, I guess, I was very, I was attempting, I attempted to harden myself against that argument when, before we spoke. But as we spoke, um, I realized that the queen comes from a place of care for her people and a place of wisdom as well. Um, I believe that there are good arguments on both sides of what we should do. And the queen did say that if we helped aid lifting the siege, then she would let us go, you know, well, she, she said that she wouldn't impede us in any way. Um, no matter what we choose, which I greatly appreciated. Um, I think I just wanted to bring this uh, to you all and um, for us to discuss what the next best move is. Should we change our plan? Should we stay here, lift the siege, or attempt to lift the siege and then move towards K and the cataclysmic ritual? Or should we leave now and leave Gaim to fate, essentially, and hope that we can start the cataclysmic ritual in time to save Gaim. I will not reveal my bias or what I believe we should do at this time. I think it's important to have an open discussion first. So I'll open the floor to really anybody who has any strong opinions. Breezer steps forward. I think we should help Gaim. They've done so much for us. Um, and there are so many people here who, who desperately need help. Freeing up this siege would really aid a lot of people. Rex pushes his hematician form to the front of the group. And he says, but you haven't seen what these things can do. Like, we've been up close with them. There's no fighting them. There's no if if Gaim gets breached, Gaim is done for. Like it's not it's not like you stay here and you lift the siege. It's like you keep the city secure and you hope that's what happens. Because if they get in here, it's game over. Yeah, um, I know you have stayed here for a long time and kind of built four guys here. Uh, what are your thoughts with your familiarity with the city? As a number of blue spores kind of float through the air, connecting everyone to Yaz's mental communication abilities, you hear Yaz's calm, aloof voice say, I am intrigued by both possibilities, but I have come to learn in my time here and before here, traveling with you all, that what is most important is family and you all are my family and as long as we are all together 
I am not concerned with which course we choose to travel, only that we travel it as a team. I mean, there's a whole lot of world out there. B Street kind of hefts his lumberjack axe in a sort of reassuring way. Like, you know, this is his tool. This is what he kind of hangs mm-hmm. on to, anchors himself with. There's a whole lot of world out there. It seems awfully rash just to give up on it just because this part's in danger. Yes, but the whole lot of world out there appears to be turned towards this direction. Well, all the we are standing in the last free it. city of Urda. This part of the world has an army in it to help them. No, you, you missed my point. This is the last free city of Urida. I, uh, not to, this is, I, I, I would really love to know, Fox and Jeb, what your thoughts are as well. Um, not to put founders' opinions over anyone else's, I just want to make sure you're able to voice what you're feeling. You want to go first, pup? I mean, I'm going to be honest. To all of y'all here, I... Listen, I haven't had the strongest faith when it came to our mission. I even abandoned it for a short time. To see these people in a desperate need, clawing for any way to survive, and to know that we could potentially have any, even if it's a small chance, part in protecting them and keeping them alive and leaving them to their fate is what it feels like if you were to go off and need not find somebody who may not even be found or can be found I, but I know also as well that I mean this whole ritual thing is what's going to bring it to an end if we don't do this ritual then all we'd be doing is buying Gaim some time but maybe that's worth it maybe Maybe buying Gaim some time is worth it. This needs to end. Mockery throws the cigar she just lit on the ground and kind of stomps on it. This is all because of not doing the ritual. Everything else we do only prolongs. At some point, you have to do the ritual. So you either do it now, and whoever has died up to then has died, or you do it later, and whoever dies up to then has died. You're just leaving more time for people to die. Mark's right. We have to think of the bigger picture. But is the army just going to poof away just because we do the ritual? Are, are, are all of the people tr- out there truly under enslavement of the Abolith? Or are they just following orders? I mean... I mean... On a certain level, Yeah. I mean, if the Aboliths are no more and their enslavement of commanders or whatever is no more, and the, I mean, I can tell you, I'm, I'm not operating under the faculties that I was previously under. I imagine the same thing would happen to, to the others. 
the mountain leans over, still not saying anything because he doesn't say things, but leans over the railing and just looks down, kind of sad, towards the town. All right, I've here's the thing. People. Nope, you go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> Jeb, we can't keep doing this. All right. So here's the thing. And Jeb uh, slaps a piece of parchment down on the, the war room table that we're all kind of gathered around, and he slides it out. And on it are it is like a big, crazy conspiracy grid of things that he's written down and circled and tied and you have he's got the prophecy on there and this that and the other and like all of the components and we need to the last time that we just followed our gut it kind of burned us we need to we need to think logically about this you know it i don't i don't want to throw emotions out the door and and you know and abandon that but there's a time there's a time that's ticking and we need to be aware of that remember the last time that that time ran out because and this is on a, a larger scale than that franklin the avalanche are doing and he's kind of scratching his little mole folk nose. He goes, yeah, I started this adventure on the heels of a prophecy. I'm not turning away from it now. The Avalists are doing something. We don't know what it is, but we know it's to a point, and we know that there's a time when they're going to enact upon it. And that big question mark is scary. It could be tomorrow. It could be a week, it could be a month, we don't know. But the more time that we spend here, the less time we have to actually even pull this thing off, whether we get all of our ducks in a row and actually find Kay and are actually able to pull it off. You know, if, if we knew the timetable and we were like, hey, yeah, we've got two weeks to, to really sock it to this this siege and really set them back, you know, maybe we could do that and then go take care of this thing. But if the Avaliths win, that's it. There, there is no plan B. There is, uh, there is absolutely no plan B. I, and that is, that is where I think I ultimately fall as well. Marcy um, swears appreciatively and scritch and throws down one of her four cigarettes. <laughs> Uh, I, I think, um, in the end, I have to look at this as, a, a comparison of risks. And to me, it seems as though it's either risk Gaim or risk the entire world. And although I hate to think of it that way or even say out loud that I would rather risk Gaim in the entire world i think that it is the logical choice and um that saddens me and makes me honestly question whether that logic even matters um because i see the people here and i see 
I see what this has done, and emotionally, I want to help, and I think that we have the potential to help. But there is just so much risk in doing that. It's risking the world, it's risking us, it's risking what if one of us, an avatar, or us, perishes in the battle that we need for the for the the cataclysmic ritual what if you know even if because because even if we are victorious in lifting the siege or fortifying the city further whatever it is we could be victorious but with severe losses that prevent us from doing the ritual and riley uh flutters up listen i don't know why this is a discussion I mean, looking around the room, I think we've all said the same thing except for Fox here. And I don't know if this is a democracy or not, but even then, it, it's a landslide, and I, I don't even know why we're discussing this. I, I wanted to discuss it because I just think it's a discussion worth having, and I wanted to make sure that whatever path we went forward with, that we at least had a discussion. Consider and this. It, it, Zal steps steps to the front of the, the group here, um, her fiery red hair kind of flowing back over her shoulders. Because dungeon delving is literally what we do. Since we got here, I've been training people to dungeon delve. We're a crew of people who know what to do in dangerous underground circumstances. And we're presented with a siege that is most likely going to attack from the Underdark or perhaps in a combined, I know, I know, she like waves off Joffrey, who's like, tactically speaking. She's like, no, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. They're most likely going to attack in a combined force, but we are dungeon delvers. And if they attack through the Underdark, we are maybe the best equipped people here to hold them off. Plus, we also have magic. Plus, we also have magic. And you guys said it. This is the last free city, so basically the world is here. Can I and if it falls... Just a moment now. Um, Y'all are saying a lot of words that I don't really understand, being a simple baking girl, uh, as it were. But you keep saying that this is the last free city in the world. Uh, that is not what Sir Topham Sav has been telling the people. Uh, it sounds like everything outside the city is going pretty dandy. Uh... What, where are you coming from here? Well, um, I hate to be the one to tell you this, or I, from you saying that, that makes me very intrigued as to how far um, Sir Topham Sav's propaganda. Know? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Sir Topham Sav is not to be trusted um, in the slightest. He is deep in league with the Aboleths and their operation. Um, that is something that, uh, come to think of it, we should have publicized more to people. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had a really great idea for that, and we just never did anything, but that's on why. me. I got so, captured. You, you have an opinion. I, I don't know if it's true, but he did give us all of these televibes, and if you are going to go, you know, if you're going to say he's a bad guy... A lot of people here tell you know the televibes is is their one fun thing a day. Like they're not gonna like to hear that. Also, that, if that you're is leaving fair. them here, and this is the worst looking place at the moment, and and Mister Topham Sav, who is you know very fine in a top hat, I might add, he <laughs> says that the rest of the world is doing just fine. 
Like I, I don't, you know, the painting, the, the picture you're painting is very different than what we're all hearing. Uh, Clara, consider the fact that the King of Udril has, has fled here. Um, We've we've seen the armies marching on all of the I mean, major I saw areas. It. I wouldn't have left if I hadn't seen it. I'm letting you know yeah. what what we're hearing, and certainly, just because something bad is going down in Fladena, I don't. That doesn't make me know that everywhere is you know under siege. But sure, that that I'm, that is fair. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to believe what you're telling me because not everything is adding up. But I'm gonna take it with a grain of salt. And man, I wish we had some grains of salt. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen the fires that they lit over the holy sites. And there were a lot, a lot of them. Satonia so um, steps into the circle. Her kind of shimmering moose-like form, kind of winding its way through everybody. She walks very gently to the center of the circle, sits down on her hind legs, and. Um, almost like it's it's not quite coughing. It's almost like a breath weapon would look from a dragon, except instead of breathing out a weapon, she breathes out a little bit of like glowing mist that begins materializing into like a vision for you almost. Um, so she's using it as kind of like an illusion type thing. And the illusion forms into um, a ticking clock. And mm. then the ticking clock falls down onto a flat plane still, still ticking, you know, the, the pendulum still going. Um, and then 72 more of them materialize above and each of the 72, you see the clock stop ticking and then it zooms back into the one that is, uh, the 73rd one, like the one that's representing your universe. And as it kind of zooms, zooms back into that one, you see that one end of it is kind of jagged and shattered. Um, mm. and then she, kind of materializes the seven pieces of the rod of seven parts and they create a bridge over the top of the shattered piece and back into like a, a continued plane. Mm. Um, and then it kind of quietly <laughs> dissipates into smoke. I mean, I guess I can't argue with an avatar, right? <laughs> uh, and that, that is, that is why <laughs> I wanted to, have this discussion, but um, and Alan will kind of turn to where I assume the other avatars that we have on the boat, like Garlel, Zatonia, up here. Um, Lar okay, Larith is down down in That's the true. bunker. Um, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, you turn I to Garlel and you find that, him yeah. with one hand on the ladder that leads up into the nest, and he's looking up towards the ceiling. Sorry, uh, Garlel. You... Well, um, I'm sure you've heard this most of this discussion. Yeah, um, I've been listening. Yep. What what is your take? Obviously we just saw Zetonia's and I'm apt to agree with it. I think that we need to do the ritual. I think it needs to end. And I think that right now all of the concern for Gaim is a present day focus. You're looking at who is alive in the world right now and how can we protect them, but you're not thinking of the countless untold stories that may never get a chance to be told if we don't do something about the Aboleths. And I think if you want to look at it mathematically, however many people are on the world right now, that number pales in comparison to the number of people who may or may not continue to exist, depending on the actions we take. 
Also, I'm pretty sure that's not good. And he points up, and as you look up towards the skylight, you hear some distant draconic roar, and then you hear alarm whistles start blaring. And you know what that means. Uh, It means it's story time at the Winged Badger Tavern, and we will be right back. Sunir, Gontos, Kotis, Awara. Long ago, the four ancients created a world in harmony. Then, everything changed when the chat emped magic. Only Kelnor, master of good vibes, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Two years have passed, and four adventurers have discovered a conspiracy, a company selling magic. And although their roleplay is great, they have a lot of XP to earn before they're ready to save anyone. But I believe they can save the- Owen? Alright. Ayo! Four guys, ventures, and vibes! Welcome back to the Wing Badger Tavern. Let's meet the adventurers for tonight's Dungeons and Dragons session. I'm still recovering. Um, hi, I'm I'm Jake, and I play Alan Woodrear, uh, the ASMR barbarian artificer, as well as uh, Gunner, the hematician rogue demolition expert, who had pretty much no opinion, no strong opinion in the previous uh, discussion that was just had. Hi, I'm uh, Fox. I I'm. I'm 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 also recovering. We would we were not briefed in that, by the way. That we, none of us saw that coming. Um, I'm I'm Cleo. I play Fox, the Rogue Changeling, and Riley, the Oatling, and yeah, no. Um, strong opinions there. Uh, aside, <laughs> I sorry. I'm I'm lost in the sauce. Y'all, y'all go. <laughs> Hello, I'm Trevor. I am also uh, taken aback by what just happened. Uh, so props to to Josh and Tsev for that. Um, I will be playing uh, Bruiser, the Winged Badger Inquisitive Rogue, and Zop, not Zop, not to be confused with Zop, R.A.P. <laughs> the uh, Wheatling, not Oatling, Warlock. <laughs> hey, I'm Wash. I play three characters. I play FP62, the cool little bot boy. I play Radford the White, the uh, awesome dragonborn monk who fixes shoes and kicks people with him. And Jebediah Peppermint, the moleful gun wizard who spits fire and fires spit. And uh, I apparently had Josh's screen share muted, so I didn't hear any of that. And I have no idea what's going on. I just saw <laughs> Tisa's face show up. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here for the, uh, for the surprise. <laughs> um, I am Will of the Wisp, and I play your favorite character, Clara Albuquerque. And I'm so excited to see Sir Topham Sav. And I'm Josh, your Wing Badger Game Master. I play everybody else. Without further ado, let's get back into tonight's Dungeons and Dragons adventure. As the alarm whistles go off, a distant shrieking can be heard. Garlel looking up. Um, at the at the skylight above you, which remember they widened the skylights of the city to make access to these landing pads that you're on. And so you can see in the night sky above just shadows kind of flitting back and forth. Clara, you recognize some of the cries of the dragons of Fladena as they leap into battle with darker, shadowier mirrors of themselves um, kind of doing battle up in the sky above. And uh, everyone kind of looks towards either Owlin or Fox or Jeb for like, what the heck do we do? You know, like the party are all there. Uh, Beneath you, you can hear civilians yelling and people are running, trying to to get to safety. The army is, you know, 
mustering, all those things are happening. Alan. Uh, well, I will retrieve, retrieve Laredith and Randy and the machine, and then we will disembark. Alan. I'm just going to say this, Alan. This is our chance if we're going to go. Yes, I agree. Um, I Like I said, I will go down, grab them, bring them up. You guys prepare anything that we need to prepare, and then we need to leave now. Alan, you hear Yaz's voice uh, yes? in your head. Catch. And you look over just in time to see, yeah, the mic and it toss you a small briefcase. It has Randy's R&D logo on the outside of it. And as you catch it, as if it's tuned to your hand, the briefcase drops and splits and begins kind of materializing into a sort of armor. It kind of splits out and it, and it kind of grows into like little greaves and boot protections that kind of go up your legs. And then it kind of spreads from there and you get this sort of belt that comes out of it. And it grows into almost like a full set of plate armor but you find that this, there's a cipher right in the center of the plate armor of ah. Featherfall. Um, and so <laughs> you, have, you have a consumable use suit of Featherfall on you, and you see nice. that on your belt there are four more consumable ciphers of Featherfall that you could hand out as you saw fit or use for yourself. And Yas says, Randy had an idea that you may need to make a quick descent at some point, and so he created this for you. The armor will not provide you with a whole lot of use against siege weapons, but in normal combat, you should find that, numerically speaking, it makes you plus two harder to hit than whatever you were before. <laughs> <laughs> ah, uh, Alan, uh, like, you know, takes it in. Uh, and he just kind of nods and, and is just like, this is an incredible idea. And I wish that That's I had cool thought stuff. of it a long time ago. Yes, this is cool stuff. Well, uh, uh, I am going to go do that now. And Alan uh, <laughs> kind of like steps towards the edge of the ship, gives a final like nod to everybody. Beast Street is and, like, what uh, about the others? Do you want anyone to come down and help you? What about me? That is a big Bruiser's going to rush to the cockpit to start getting oh, like ready the startup to startup sequence yeah cool yeah so like, uh, the engines begin kind of humming and things get ready bruiser or uh, b street goes i'll get down to engineering and he kind of flips i want to get the anchor right, everybody everybody start finishing up packing grab if, whatever's on the docks and we're, we're getting out of here if alan thinks about how big Laredith's machine was in the room how many people would he estimate it would take to it was, get it it was the full size of the room like it covered the whole floor so the more the merrier basically um but okay yeah uh and alan has how many extra ciphers to give to people four four uh i need four i have yes thank you uh b street i need four people to come with me um to help carry laredith's machine up to the ship zal uh, has fallen asleep into like a, a narcoleptic trance she's just kind of <laughs> leaning back against the nest she's completely out okay um i can help and i by all means i suggest we grab some other people uh, Gunner, where are you? Gunner, you, you're oh, yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's perfect. All right. All right, we got Gunner, Alan. Um, I I can get my own way down. All right. Uh, I will yeah. stay here yeah. and secure the ship. Um, uh, Jeb, did you say something earlier? You want you, you could come down as well? It's your call. No. Do you want me here or you want me down there? I can be of use uh, in either side. Rex and uh, I want to step forward and they're like, we can help. I want what you about here, the yeah. mountain? It is pretty big. Okay. Uh, yes, and then the mountain and Rex and Sasha. Um, and that's four ciphers plus... Uh, yes, all right, perfect. So that will be the group that goes down. Great. Um, 
as the sounds of combat outside kind of continue, you know, little echoes falling down into the area with you. Um, the others of you uh, who, who have been chosen, you, you know, strap on your ciphers. They just strap to your arm. Um, and then as you activate them, well, actually, I don't know. Do you activate them now or are you going to wait? I think probably the length of Featherfall, you'd, you'd want to wait until you were most of the way down. It'd be like a parachute yeah, type maneuver. It's like, yep, it's like a, Alan will explain mathematically, oh. like uh, once you see you've passed this tier, you're going to need to activate your cipher. Fox. It, it's very scary. <laughs> just looks but at Alan and says, uh, uh, without even looking, um, just grabs his axe and looks at Alan dead in the eyes and says, I'll meet you down there because this is now or never for me. <laughs> and just backs <laughs> off over the railing, gripping the tack, the sacks as if though his life depends on it. Because in this case, it really does. <laughs> oh, <shoot. laughs> and just and, starts plummeting. Okay. And Alan will kind of direct everyone to kind of be like, this is our clear path. You see where, where Fox is going. We're going to follow that path. And then Alan will be the first one of the rest of the group to, to go as well. Okay. Um, everybody kind of follows you who you've called. Um, I think it's just um, Alan and Fox are the only two player characters, right? We're going. Oh, and Gunner. Uh, and and Gunner. Okay, so you all kind of step off the edge. We start with Fox. I'm going to need a dexterity save to get the timing right. Uh, you're going to have to roll at a disadvantage because you're falling, and Fox hates heights. So yes. uh, <laughs> as Fox begins plummeting, air whooshing past you, you can hear a sort of din around you, but it's not like you can hear the individual yells of scared civilians or the army mustering at different choke points or anything like that. You're just <laughs> as I'm doing that, rushing through. Fox just closes his eyes and just lets the sounds ebb out and instead just counting down you know 10 9 he's, he's estimated the time it would take down yeah and he's just hoping he's right okay and as he gets down to one he blows out his song and as he does i rolled a 19 with disadvantage with disadvantage. You nail it. Describe his landing. He blows out the tune, and as he opens his eyes and he feels the spell effect turn on, he looks down, and lo and behold, he was inches away from the floor, and his feet gracefully touch down the second he opens his eyes. And sure enough, people looking at this sight, amazed, he just kind of... Yeah, I meant to do that. Uh, puts the sacks away. <laughs> yeah, soldiers who are like running back and forth are looking over towards you. One of them has just frozen in place. Like, uh, is this the attack? Like, is this what we're preparing for? Uh, you put the saxophone away. As you put the saxophone away, the remaining members of the party uh, begin descending down towards you. And so from Allen yeah. and Gunner, I would like oh. dexterity saves to nail the timing, not at disadvantage, just normal dexterity saves. So um, for Alan, could I make the argument that Alan has been in this situation before? He, <laughs> uh, <laughs> too many times, actually. At um, least three. At least three. And now that he has uh, something to actually prepare him for this situation, 
could he uh, utilize his athletics, for example, to maneuver his body in a way that, um, you know, if, if he has to brute force the air currents, that's fine. Um, yeah, to, he's going like to... full star pattern. Yes, exactly. I will let, let's see here. Okay, here's what I'll do. I will let you roll athletics to make the DC easier. Okay. Um, and the higher you roll, the lower I will make the DC for okay. um, Alan's next check. And then, because you are technically using like a, a piece of construction, I'll let you roll it as an artificer tools check instead of a dexterity save. Oh, even better. All right. 19 athletics. 19 athletics. So you already, like, you're right. Alan has a lot of experience falling as part yep. of his job here. Uh, in fact, as he jumps, the probably the first thing that hits you is a little bit of a flashback to when you did this fighting that robot and you, like, broke your ribs. And yep. so Alan's like, don't do that again, you know, as he, like, steers himself <laughs> away from the different yep. walkways, whizzing past. Uh, and then go ahead and roll your yeah. artificer tools check to get the timing. You know, Obi. You know, in Obi Wan, Obi Wan in Attack of the Clones, um, that that scene near the beginning. You know, what I'm talking about. Anyways, that's mm -hmm. that's that's Alan right now. The part where um, the fun begins. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right. Oh, dirty twenty. Dirty twenty. Alan Very also good. nails the landing. Go ahead and describe it to us. So. Um, as I said, Alan is doing the uh, the like full you know star formation, like not not doing the uh, like cool like zipping down at high speed, um, just kind of trying to like you know guide the air currents to avoid. Um, and then uh, about two thirds of the way down, he uh, um, smashes the 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 centerpiece, the the the, the, the cipher in in the in in the armor. And then from there, like, uh, like guides himself into like an upright position to where it looks like suspiciously like a certain <laughs> superhero with an iron armor landing uh, with his arms at his side and his and then, you know, lands on his feet and then does like a, you know, just for fun, just for fun. Yeah. A little superhero landing type action. As there. you land with a little tink, the cypher pops out of the center of your armor and you feel um, what seems like it seems like you maybe have you know, 58-ish minutes left before the armor will kind of fade and, and kind of droop off of you. Um, oh, interesting. Oh, so the armor itself is single-use. Yes. Interesting. Um, huh. And then we have Gunner, Rex, and Sasha. I will roll for <laughs> Rex and Sasha. Gunner, uh, when he falls, it just looks like he's trying to imitate whatever Alan was doing. Like, Gunner is like, <laughs> Gunner naturally sees that, oh, this person has been in this situation before. I'm going to try to do what he's doing. Was that for both of them, or did you roll no, an advantage or disadvantage? One of, the, one of them got a 17, and one of them got a 1. Gunner got a 10. Gunner got a 10. Um, okay. Uh, it's not a good roll to have a 1 on. Yeah, this is not a good roll to have a 1 on. Um, okay, let's start with Gunner. Um, Gunner got a 10. So Gunner's on his way down. He's trying to do what Alan's doing. Unfortunately, his cipher is not in the center of his suit. His cipher is... Um, like on his arm just, and so if he, tries yeah. to, if he tries to do the motion that alan did nothing will happen and eventually i'm sure he will realize and hit the the feather fall cipher um but he as chad hit. just pointed out gunner is a rock so he also <laughs> falls faster gunner is literally a rock so he also falls Whoa. faster. we all went to physics class we know that's not how that works okay 
I'm going by normal person physics. Me, <laughs> my physics. He hits maximum velocity sooner. I'm gonna roll it. That's what we said. Die. Okay, so oh. I think probably what happens is Gunner still activates the cipher. He just doesn't activate it at the proper time, so it's not like he takes the whole impact of. I mean, that's that's true. Feet yeah. or whatever. He probably just takes some of the impact. So what I'm gonna have happen is Wash roll a D8. Um, and this is how many D6 of fall damage Gunner will take. I do not want to be complicit in your pain, <laughs> but I will roll it anyway because you ask so nicely. Thank you. What's heavier, a kilogram of steel or a kilogram <laughs> of feathers? That's a classic. A gentleman's three. All right, three oh. D6 fall damage. I'll roll it right it. here for you. Oh, no. Oh, I, okay. sorry. Yeah, you, got you got it. it. You, you can do oh, it. Oh, okay. Also, get your realistic physics out of my fantasy world. Holy cow! I got <laughs> I got exactly the the median damage. I got nine damage. All right, Gunner takes nine damage as he he probably like you know shakes a little bit or maybe lands on a knee like the hero landing, but because it's a hero landing, it's incredibly impractical and it like hurts his knee or something. Yeah, he like hits the ground. Um, Sasha lands next to him, completely fine. A uh, very graceful, gentle landing, and then Rex thuds into the ground uh, oh, cypher not even activated at all oh rex that's not a dead. thud that's a bounce yeah, Holy rex is dead oh. there's no way at rex just fell 1100 that's, feet that's traumatizing yeah that's horrible wait rex just like that's gotta be double your hp was, on him okay i guess it maxes out say, at 20 d6 wait so maybe i was not. gonna ask before you, you gave out the results so maybe it's too late, but I was going to ask if I could roll to react. <laughs> you were on the ground first, so sure. Yes. You can roll to react. What would you be doing? Wow. I would be casting Featherfall. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, okay, go ahead and roll a dexterity save. This is another hematician who was plummeting at high speed. Your well, DC <laughs> is 18. Does, does Rex, like, black out from the, from the force? I'm oh, sure, God. yeah. So I, I definitely have to time it just right because I it's only a 60-foot range. Right. And I have to realize he's not going to trigger it in time. Yeah. Well, if he's made it to 60 feet, he's probably too close, right? There's 100 feet between tiers. Yeah. So you'll, you'll know by then. Yeah, okay. you're seeing... You, you've, what you've seen so far is all of us, uh, maybe maybe besides Gunner, like falling at feather fall speed for the last hundred. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just see Rex. Just. I mean, okay, okay. to that point, to that point, he probably zooms past you, and you see him like falling <laughs> faster than you are. So yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> disadvantage or advantage? Uh, advantage. You're on the ground first. Okay. I've got my D8 ready. <laughs> Excuse me, oh. and I am rolling um, dexterity a dexterity check. save. Yeah. Yeah. Why is my camera like your no focus is not autoing? It's okay. Just I know. You. Okay. Um, dexterity. Yeah. Just just squint, chat. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's because he's rushing by so fast. Twenty-seven. <laughs> is that good enough? That's good enough. <laughs> you get you get the feather fall cast. So okay. So I see him. I see him coming down. I realize after like he gets past the last tier, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead and roll the D8 wash. Let's see. Let's see how much fall damage he takes. Ooh, a disrespective 
Six. Oof. Oh, it's not great. Oh. Oh no. Uh okay. So he does feather fall. Uh as as he gets closer to the ground, you hear suddenly he's like screaming, like it didn't work. You know, and you, you get it. Um, you get Featherfall cast on him, and he lands much more roughly than perhaps was intended, kind of flopped on his side like a fish, you know? Like, he's not at all guiding himself down or whatever. Dislocates his arm, and he is bloodied, which means he's at half his HP or lower. Um, but he's alive. And he uh, rolls over, and he's like, I will never do that again. Okay, uh, and you know, it's... <laughs> Watching you do that, Rex, made me realize we are all lucky to be alive these last couple times we've done it. <laughs> Make way, first time's always the Make hardest. Army coming through, and you see several of the army of Gaim soldiers pushing different things into place and stuff. It looks like something's gonna happen at the. Gunner notices at the same time as it happens that um, the inside of one of the entrances to the Underdark has been lined with explosives, and. As the like, does it seem like it's it's done by the good like, guys or the bad guys? Like in a way that is sabotage. Um, oh, okay. Uh, are they, as Gunner thinks they're off, about to explode. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Dang. The charges go <laughs> off, and a huge puff of smoke and rubble launches back towards you. Salen's palace is between you and this entrance to the Underdark. Already, soldiers are swarming towards it. Um, the gemstone guardian, Salen's personal honor guard, are there. Um, you also hear behind you, hey, you! And you turn around and see two more of the gemstone guardians. Remember, there's eight of them. Um, two more of the gemstone guardians are next to Salen, who is standing on a platform. They are fending off an assassination. They have just decapitated somebody. Um, oh. You hear various voices yelling things along the, along the lines of like, inside job, don't trust anybody, blah, 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 blah. All the different things are happening. Two of the gemstone wardens run towards you, being followed by a furious Wigbert, who's telling them, these are not the proper protocols. But these are not they the run towards you, these two gemstone wardens, and they go, we need to get you to the palace. You have cargo to escort, right? And they begin running ahead of you, trying to clear a path for you to get through. Yes, thank you. Um, as as we go, um, I'm gonna help Rex up and uh, cast Healing Word on him. What is the Healing Word today? The Healing Word of today is Stranger. Because Stranger Danger, stay away from Stranger Kids. I mean, kids, stay away from Stranger People. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from stranger Hang things. Around normal kids. kids. Stay away from stranger kids. <laughs> <laughs> Judge everyone. <laughs> Trust no one. Swipe left. <laughs> you all rush towards the palace. Um, you make it there unassailed, but you can now hear the sounds of melee combat happening out in the, you know, in the distance, basically beyond the gate. And you also hear behind you the sounds of padding feet running. You turn around and you see three dire wolves and the king of Udril, Tactus the Unyielding, ah. rushing towards the gate. He holds up the Rod of Constitution and yells, To me! And behind him, several of Clan Lupus's warriors kind of muster and follow him towards the breach where they're they're going to go and hold off the attack. Um, uh, Your you Majesty, we need... the gate of, of Salen's Palace. Uh, Alan is going to see if he can catch the king uh, before he runs off. Um, is that is that possible? Uh, you probably can't stop him, 
but you could maybe talk to him as you run by. He looks over at you okay. and gives you the bro nod. You know, like he's. Uh, uh, we we need you at the at the at the airship as soon as possible. We are leaving to, for the cataclysmic ritual. Leaving, but we're under attack. We need to do this. We're. I, I wish I had time to explain. He twirls the rod of constitution in his hand and catches it in almost what looks like a like a sword fighting hold, and he holds it up and then he looks over at you with kind of a question in his eyes. The avatars. They said it was necessary. We need to do this as soon as possible. We're grabbing Laredith and the machine, and we're leaving. I need you to trust me. I'm sorry. His soldiers have kind of stopped and you know amassed in a circle around him. He um, spins the scepter down into like a, a knight's pose, you know, and he kneels down on the ground and he seems to whisper some kind of blessing or something over his wolves. And then he gives a command in Dwarvish and they all run forwards to continue the fight. And he stops and follows you. Um, the, the, the gates of the palace are shut and Wigbert is there again, trying desperately to like, under, under the protocols in an attack, the palace no, no, can't no, be opened. You cannot open the doors. I, I'm telling you, it's not procedural. Did anybody follow the, the, we did emergency preparation seminars before this. What are you listening? No, Alan's, just gonna, go to... Alan's just going to open his hands towards the gemstone wardens that are escorting them into the palace and just kind of be like, are you going to talk to this guy? They look back at you like we don't we don't I mean he's he's the chamberlain of the palace like we don't really have authority over him. Alan I, Alan walks up to Wigbert. No, you Wigbert, have Wigbert is much smaller than Alan, right? Yes, Wigbert is like a little hunched over old guy. Alan hey, is going to Alan is hey, going oh, to oh, essentially oh, put a hand on his head and uh, move him out of the way <laughs> and then hey, hey, you can. keep going. That's improper. You if can. I need to roll for that, that's fine. You don't need to roll for it. You can't do that. I Wigbert's I'm cries right are left behind as one of the one of the wardens kind of walls him off and holds him back, <laughs> and you're led to you get inside the um inside the palace and you're met at the door by Randy who looks at you and he goes it's a good fit I knew it fit <laughs> and then he leads you back inside let's go uh and down to where Salen is the um the room has been broken into pieces Trevor roll a d10 to find out how many pieces uh the machine had to be split into. There is a minimum of four. BM, how far are they down from the airship? Uh, I guess 1,100 feet plus whatever it's floating I, at with its anchor. Okay. I rolled a four. Okay. So it was broken into four pieces that can be managed and carried. They're huge, but they're like manageable weight-wise and such, and they're kind of bundled and, you know, probably the little flags for like wide load are hanging off the end of the pile and stuff. Um, and Laredith is, is kind of looking at them all and she goes, okay, I believe, I believe she kind of adjusts her glasses. I believe everything is here and everything is ready. We just need to get it <laughs> safely to the airship. I understand we're under attack now. Uh, yes, that is correct. Well, that's not fantastic, but it's something. Uh, let's figure this out. Who's carrying things and who's defending the group? I should carry something. Uh, I should not be fighting. I guess I should probably be fighting unless we need another carrier. I'll carry. Uh, Rex and Sasha both volunteer to carry. So that's four. Um, oh, Rex heals six, by the way. Okay, great. Um, Rex heals six. He's actually barely unbloodied now. Um, so that's nice. He's back over half his health. Um, 
he, you know, every, everyone comes in and picks something up. That makes sense, too, because Rex is a, a hematician. Rex and Sasha are. So they each kind of pick up huge, um, huge pieces of this machine. And they're kind of wending their way through the entryway. And I'm going to roll the next die in the tension pool to see what you find outside. Oh, uh, you come, you basically come to the front door area. So you're in the courtyard where there are gates and the two gemstone wardens are still with you. The gemstone wardens, as soon as they step outside, they're like, okay, we have duties. We need to go. Can you make it to the reticulator on your own? Uh, yes. Yes, we can. Great. And they rush out the front gate. Uh, so the gate is open for you. As they rush out the front gate, they are just obliterated by a huge fist of rock that kind of splits out of the ground around them, grabs them in this huge hold, and slams them down on the ground. At the same time, those of you who can cast magic feel a weird kind of like, um, almost like goosebumps type sensation, uh, kind of run across your skin, and then it kind of goes away again um, as this hand slams into the ground and then dissipates again into, into the ground. Uh, they are just gone. Um, ahead of you, you can still see and hear, you know, there are people who are yelling and crossbows being fired and some ballista pointed back towards the entryway. Nothing has quite entered in yet, but, uh, <laughs> hey, watch. Um, nothing has quite entered into the city yet, but the fight is happening. All right. Um, I'm going to turn to the nearest person who possibly may have witnessed that. Uh, is there nobody else nearby that's no. not part of our party? Not near you. You're in the courtyard, right? Everyone else is outside the palace. All right. I got to warn them. And I just immediately book it to the nearest person within yelling distance. I just try to get within yelling distance. Okay. Have teeth. Have teeth. I'm just screaming. Okay. Waving my arms. Uh, you do. You get at least a couple people's attention. You know, soldiers who are posted up at the barricades. One of them has ducked down to reload and looks over towards you. Still, like, you know, he's a well-trained, disciplined soldier. He's still going through the motions of reloading his weapon or whatever as he looks towards you and goes, What is it? There's something in the ground! It's coming! Yeah, we it noticed! Book is... <laughs> can come from anywhere! I just wanted to make sure you all know that! At this point, Alan is escorting everyone else and is yelling at at, at uh, Fox. That's just like the entrance, they from know the, the ground. They know we need to go. Okay, and I run guy. off. Okay. Um, the one that I rolled is not the complication, so there's no no extra complication here. Um, as you begin wending your way through, recall that as you're on the lowest tier, you're surrounded by like all the pillars that support the walkways above you, the big arches. And so as you're wending your way through, huge floodlights begin snapping on, these massive ciphers of daylight that have been anchored to the tier above you, creating these kind of hot spots of like bright white light and then deep shadow where the pillars impeded. And so you're crisscrossing through in such a way where it's like your eyes can never quite adjust to what you're walking through. Half the time, it's blindingly bright. Half the time, it's incredibly dark. Um, and as you're wandering through them all, you see um, to to each side of you, every now and then, you feel that, that kind of goosebumps, chill feeling, and another something stretches out of the ground and slams back into the ground again. Um, I uh, yes? rolled perception. Okay. Uh, 23. Uh, 23. Um, Okay, so with perception, um, I'll let you... How about you roll an arcana? 
Oh. I was about to say, Alan would want to roll an Arcana to see if that Goosebumps feeling stirs anything up for him. But if, if uh, we'll Fox see is Arcana, we yeah. all know that Fox, who just learned magic, is a pro at understanding it. Yeah. At least he thinks so on a nat one. <laughs> uh, you're pretty sure that um, you don't know anything at all about what's happening. <laughs> okay. You think it's weird. Um, you're like, it's weird that the air is displaced in such a way that I get chills every time I see this this spell getting used. Um, and the group continues running. Alan, you can... I'm going to roll another tension die, but then you can roll your arcana if you want. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, 22. 22. As dust and rubble and begins fluttering around you, you realize that what you're feeling isn't just goosebumps. It's goosebumps that start on one side of your body, cross to the other side, and fade away. And what you're actually getting is pulses of the weave. Magic oh. is being switched on and off in pulses that are timed with whatever these attacks are. Oh. Uh. Ow. That's crazy. Alan is gonna. <laughs> that's super powerful. Um, but I don't like that. That's not something Alan needs to communicate at this very moment. I don't think. No, not uh, at this very moment. Yeah. So keep going. Okay. DM. Yes. Does that make it canon that every time we walked around with rods on us, that people just got goosebumps every time we walked by? <laughs> uh, no, it does not. Okay. It doesn't uh, make it canon, but it doesn't make it not canon. There is a difference. It's in my head canon. There's a difference between being connected to your universe's magic and past universe's magic. Mm. Mm. We Especially when your universe's magic has been twisted and warped and weird things have happened to it. Anyway, um, you so... Geese didn't exist in the past universes. That's right. You're continuing, well, to, you're continuing to navigate towards the um, the gemstone hall. You're basically right out front of it um, where another sort of band of soldiers from the army of Gaim have secured it as an evacuation point for civilians and the like. They see you coming towards them and they, they kind of look a little bit confused. Like, who are these guys? We don't have any orders for them. You know, one of them stops you. What's your purpose? We need uh, priority. We, we do we need priority. There was uh, gemstone wardians that uh, now that I think about it, it it's, we have the King of Udril here. Go. Yes, we have we the King of Udril here and pieces of the machine. They look towards the King of Udril and immediately snap to attention and step back. Um, you push into the Gemstone Hall, and as Aulin in particular would have expected in a city that's under siege, the hall has been completely, you know, renovated and set up as a choke point. So you walk in, and there are a couple of weapons ominously pointed towards you that are lowered when people recognize you and things like that. Um, you step past um, the, the tables that were meant for the food bank, which have been flipped over as protective barricades. Go ahead, Fox. I'm going to tell him the same thing. Yo, strange stone hand is coming out of the ground. I don't know what's happening, but you all got to be prepared because it could probably just go right past the fences. Thanks for letting us know. We'll keep an eye out. Your enemies um, can they, use magic. Alan will give them that warning as well. Your enemies can then, use even magic. From in here, you feel that weird pulse of chills, and you know that somewhere yep. outside, magic is being used again. Um, you step into the verticulator. You're, it's not big enough for all of you, so you're going to have to split. Before into before the verticulator goes, Alan will like basically in a way you like see light bulb above his head. Like he just has a realization. <laughs> uh, when you feel goosebumps, you can use magic. And Alan will try to communicate that to them oh, before snap. before uh, they they go up. They look towards you, eyes a little bit wide. 
And then one of them looks down at his hand, like his gloved hands, you know, and he sets down his crossbow and he pulls out some spell components and he goes, hell yeah. And he like waits. <laughs> and the next time you feel chills, he's going to roll a deck save. That's huge. He's going to roll a deck save. And with a three, nothing happens. He like drops his spell components, but nothing happens. And he goes, I thought you said, and then shoot the door shut on the particulator. Um, you have to split into into two groups because the pieces of the machine are too big. Who's in the first group? Who's in the second group? I'll be in the second group. Okay. I'll be in the first group. I'll, I'll the, as the elevator closes, he's going to say something like, I can't help if you're bad at magic. And then they go up. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Alan, we'll say maybe Alan, Rex, and Sasha. Are no, the no. First the, one, the point of that is that Fox it's after the, the second one. After the after the doors close, not not yeah, so yeah. that person can hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Alan, Rex, and Sasha in the first one. Fox and Gunner in the second one. Um, and the King of Uh What about the, in the second okay? Because that's three and three. So, um, Alan, as your as your elevator full of people uh, begins climbing to the second tier. <laughs> the motor kind of whirring to life and everything, um, you get a glimpse outside the carriage of the battlefield below you. And you can see, obviously, there's now huge clouds of dust and whatever being stirred up by these huge fists that are making it foggy and low visibility outside the gemstone hall. Um, but as you're walking, or as you're climbing, I should say, you see more than just that stone hand spell being used. You're starting to see other spells being used. You see fireballs smashing into pillars and thankfully not toppling them. Gaim is a pretty sturdily constructed place. But the fight is, is heavily magical on one side. However, as you're watching and as you approach the second tier, you see that the message you gave has clearly been passed back and around because you're starting to see, you know, oh, here's a wind wall to protect somebody from an incoming projectile and stuff like that. So the, the fight is becoming more arcane in nature as you make it to the second tier of Gaim. As you step off of the reticulator and it begins rattling back down to collect your friends, you, um, you're, you're greeted by a small band of Army of Gaim soldiers who are just securing the, the Gemstone Hall. And then there are some secure, uh, not secure, some siege defenses that have been laid out along the second tier, like, you know, ballistae that are aimed down that can be fired into the, the battlefield and things like that. So further outside the hall, there's lots of that. Um, you obviously are just continuing to go up, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, I'm straight roll, up. Uh, another die in the tension pool. This is going to be die number six. So we're going to clear the pool as Fox, Gunner, and the King of Udril get on their reticulator. We have one complication. Now, remember, guys, uh, just use your magic wisely. Only when you get goosebumps, you have to time it right. And good luck. And then the reticulator doors swing shut, and you begin going vertically, rattling upwards in the, the reticulator, which ironically, wait, wait, wait. the music has not been switched off. <laughs> Um, I, I want well, to, uh, while we're waiting for, as we're going up, I want to talk to the King of Udril. Sure. Um, so, uh, how's, uh, how's it been since the last time we saw each other? Um, well, my kingdom is in ruin and most of my citizens are either here or involved in a guerrilla warfare there. And instead of continuing to contribute to the defense... I am now leaving the city with you, so things could be better. How about yourself? Oh, yeah. Understandable. Uh, did I lose my leg after I saw you or before? 
No, I think that was after when I saw oh, okay. you had two legs, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, lost a leg, yeah, you know, still adjusting to that somewhat. Maybe that's but that's not true. Maybe you didn't have the leg, but I think this one is new. Didn't you have like a smoky leg? Yeah, I, I you know, it's, it's, it, my memory's not the best. I, you know, oh, when, wait, when you change wait, form so quickly. Wait, from, from the way that you told it to me, you would have seen him before you lost the leg, right? Because you lost the leg when you lost uh, Jeb. Right. Oh, same yeah, time. You're Didn't right. You Jeb today. What do you mean? Well, yeah. Well, we got they, him back. Yeah. That's he what. That's me. what I helped. Yeah. That's yeah. we found him. Yeah. No. He he was gone for a bit, but we got him back. He may have been working for the enemy. Oh. But yeah, I, I was just I just wanted to. So if you he know, was working for the, the enemy, yeah. why are we trusting him now? Oh, because we made sure he wasn't uh, part of the Abolith's control anymore. I bonked him. We bonked him really hard. Yeah. Meanwhile, outside the Virginia, <laughs> uh, the the battle continues to rage on as um, Owlin and his crew get in the next Verticulator. Most of the Verticulators on your way up we're going to kind of speed through because the middle tiers of Gaim have not been breached by the incursion yet, save for um, our tension die. Uh, as you get to the eighth tier, um, Owlin you and who's with you rex and sasha and that's it right yeah so you rex and sasha step out of the reticulator and alan your instincts as a soldier immediately tell you something is wrong as you step into the room it's still got the small group of army of gaim soldiers who are securing it and otherwise it's cleared out you see the barricades you know so they're kind of behind the overturned tables with weapons kind of trained on the reticulators making sure things are secure but something is not right as you can, and, and, I say, can Alan incite the soldiers in the room as much as he can? Like, Absolutely. is someone here a turncoat? Like that sort yep. of thing. Okay. Oh frick! It's a natural one. It's a natural one, <laughs> Alan. You can't place it. Something feels off. You have no idea what it is. In fact, maybe they can help you identify it. You don't know. Um, but you're something. Something is weird about about this room, and you can't you can't place what it is. Is everything is everything all right in here? Alan's gonna like ask that to the general group of soldiers the, here. The, the soldiers stand up just like they have on every other tier, and one of them goes, "State your business." We are bringing the machine that will end this war to the top tier. Right, me, and we have the king of Udril in tow. Then we'd better get you on the reticulator. And one of them yes, steps exactly. towards the reticulator, and and um, he pulls the lever for the reticulator. As he pulls the lever, Rex leans into, um, like, over your shoulder, and he says, I don't remember any of the other Army of Gaim soldiers having snake eyes tattooed on the inside of their wrists. Uh, and Alan knows that that's the dead eyes, right? Because he does, because they just yes, put okay. him on the boat upstairs. Yep, okay. Um, in that case, Alan is going to take his... Uh, flamethrower cannon off his belt and point it at the with his um, machine, like with his piece of the machine still in his hand. Alan isn't holding a piece of the machine. Oh, you're right. Alan's not. You're absolutely right. Um, okay. so Alan is going to basically, basically draw a gun, point it at his head, and say, "Don't move." You don't want to be doing that now, sir. And as you, uh, uh, as as he finishes talking, you hear the sound of a huge crossbow being drawn heavier and more mechanical and uh, perhaps in in some way modified from a normal crossbow. 
uh, by him or by somebody no, else? No, by someone else. Somewhere behind okay. you. Right? You're focusing on this guy. Yes. Yep. Um, hmm. Alan wishes he had Gunner here to throw a grenade. Shoulder <laughs> angel moment? Uh, Alan would be open to a shoulder angel for sure. Now here's what's going to happen. Um, you hear a voice talking from the back of the room. Ooh, and we rolled another complication. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to set whatever that stuff is down right over there. You're going to set it down. You're going to come nice and easy with us. Maybe if they realize that they're all going to die if you don't get this machine up and that petty squabbles are not the time. Uh, Alan is going to keep the flamethrower train on this guy and not move. Uh, Rex and, and Sasha uh, are also frozen. One of them is like, Alan, what do you want us to do? Well, uh, and Alan's talking to the dead eyes, not to Rex and Sasha. Well, in that case, it would be your funeral, as this tier will be overtaken soon enough. And if this petty squabble slows us down, uh, I think we'll all be dead. In And Alan will kind of like do, you know, do his like, you know, mental math face. Yeah. Oh, I would say less than 30 minutes for sure. Can Alan roll an intimidation based on those, sure, those words? Sure, roll an intimidation. As a fireball detonates on the tiers below. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, 17. 17. Um, okay. So Alan is, is explaining this, and the guy you have the flamethrower pointed at seems a little nervous about it. But the other guy, whoever's behind you, I mean, you can't see his body language or so you don't know exactly how you've affected him. But you hear his voice go, <laughs> you misunderstand which side of this war we're aligned with. We are a for-profit enterprise. And the prophet is not with the besieged. Ah, then uh, you are idiots. And Alan will turn the flamethrower <laughs> behind him and okay. pull the trigger uh, to get as many dead eyes in the 15 foot cone as he can. Sure, roll and an attack. Draw his, draw his right. scimitar of speed in the other hand. Great. Um, uh, roll an attack at disadvantage. Also, Trevor, enter him at combat initiative 20. And then we're going to roll some initiative for everybody else. You said Gunner at 20? Uh, Alan. No, the gun, yeah, oh, Alan. Gunner's not here. Uh, that's a 17 on the attack. Oh, wait, no, disadvantage you said? Sorry. Yeah, disadvantage. Oh, uh, still a 17. Okay, great. Uh, Trevor. Yep. You're going to put uh, Thug 1 at 13. You're going to okay. put Thug 2 at 15. And you're going to yep. put... Uh, Clark one-shot Jackson at 15 in the initiative Oof. order. You said Clark? One-shot Jackson. Okay. You must write the whole name down on the initiative <laughs> yes. chart. It's important <laughs> to have the whole thing down for initiative tracking purposes. Also, normal... I just realized after uh, I rolled that... Go first between Thug 2 and Clark since they tied. Uh, Clark will go first. Okay. So uh, the flamethrower is a 15-foot cone, and normally it's a deck save, not a... Uh, Oh, okay. Not I'll just let the roller save at advantage now, because um, you're firing blind. So okay, um, it's a DC 14. Great. There are two people, but they're spread apart far enough that you're only going to be able to get one of them with it. So here comes. Or the... sorry, 15. 15. Sorry, DC 15. Great. Oh, that's the tension die. Sorry. Here we go. There's the roll. 
have advantage. That's a natural 20 on it. Mm -hmm. um, Clark, what's that? Take, uh, full damage is um, six from what I rolled, and half damage is three. Okay. So, as a yeah. rogue, Clark's going to take none. Um, okay. One shot's going to jump to the side, uh, do a sort of a combat roll, and with his nat 20, I'm going to give him an attack back at you. So he's going to pull the trigger on his double-barreled crossbow. Um, here's the roll to hit. Uh, um, you are facing away from him, engaged with another combatant. So he rolls at advantage, which is also a sneak attack. Uh, 14 plus 3 to hit is a 17. Uh, that does barely hit with my new armor, yes. Okay. My AC is 17. So. Great. A 17, I mean, not great, but, you know. Uh, a 17 <laughs> hits. Great! <laughs> yeah. uh, a 17 hits, and we're going to roll our sneak attack damage, and then I'll also roll the weapon damage. Sorry, I don't have a D8 built into the, the 3D thing. Um, uh, okay. 4 plus 4 is 8, plus 5 is 13, plus 1 is 14, plus 6 is 20. Alan takes 20 points of damage as um, two crossbow bolts at the same time kind of skate up along. Um, he's trying to knock the gun out of your hands. Unfortunately, he doesn't hit the gun, but um, they kind of skate across your shoulder and across your wrist, and so it's like a big kind of stinging cut as they slide past. Um, and that will bring us to the top of initiative order. Rex and Sasha will enter at initiative order three. Um, sorry, Trevor, I forgot to... Okay. Initiative, so we'll just put them at the bottom of initiative order. Uh, we'll do three. So two, you can pick who's which. Okay. I think that, that brings us to Alan first. Yeah. Okay. So Alan is going to rage, which um, brings his ethereal uh, lightning style wings um, to the forefront, as yep. well as um, cause a lightning strike uh, on a random one of the thugs. Okay. Um, they need to make a DC 15. Um, save uh for lightning damage great uh cleo roll a d6 um but treat it as one two three one two three and tell us okay. which which person gets hit uh one okay so that's one shot jackson gets hit by a lightning strike and did you tell me the damage uh the damage let me roll it sorry i was trying to i have such small text on this pdf three lightning damage make a note of it trevor Yes. How much? Three, three lightning damage. Two. To one shot. Okay. Um, and then uh, Alan will. Uh, he, like I said, he drew his scimitar of speed on his other hand, and so he's going to use that on the one that pulled the lever. Okay. Um, next to him. Great. Uh, so he gets two attacks. First attack is a 23 the second attack is a what is that a 13 a 13 okay um the 23 these are both on the lever guy yes okay the 23 hits the 13 does not um, okay so go ahead and roll damage for that guy all right which one is this lever guy lever, lever guy, guy. Is one. okay 11 damage on Lever Guy. 11 damage on Lever Guy. Um, Got it. <laughs> um, sorry, there was a really funny quote in the... That's a good <laughs> one. <laughs> um, the, the quote for any of you Spotify listeners is, once we get in there, if we need to extract anything, I'll blow it up and extract it, which is a gunner quote. Okay. Um, the, so you've hit the one. Trevor, what's going on next? Or is Alan still going? Lark. 
That one's done. Okay. Clark is next. Clark again. It's really just a fight between the two of them. Um, Clark one-shot Jackson is going to um, reload, and then he's going to fire again all in one smooth motion. This is the modification to his crossbow. So he can, if he doesn't take a move action, he can reload and fire in the same turn. So he's going to fire. I should roll this on screen. Uh, One of the crossbow bolts rolled uh, 8 plus 3 is 11. One of them rolled 15. I think both of those miss with your armor, right? Both of those miss with my new armor. Okay. So now that Alan is facing him and, you know, more aware of the fight, um, he's he's not as easy to hit. Um, and so the, the two crossbow bolts miss. Trevor? Uh, thug 2. Thug 2. Uh, thug 2 is also going to take a shot at you. Thug 2 rolled a 12 plus 3 is 15. Thug 2 also Miss. misses. Um, there's a lot of missing going on in here. Trevor? Uh, thug 1. Oh, man. The thugs are just going. Uh, here comes the next thug's attack. He's the one right next to Alan. He's going to attack you with a... I guess I should have been rolling an advantage for that. That's okay. Um, he's going to attack you with a short sword, which he's going to draw as he attacks. And with a 15 on the die, that does hit you because that'll be an 18 total to hit. Oh, dang. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the 18 is going to hit you, and he's going to roll damage. Oof. Uh, that is nine points of slashing damage, although you're raging, so that's not quite so bad. After four. Uh, <laughs> he, he slashes across you for nine points of slashing damage. And then he's going to attack you again with his bonus action. Uh, that's not a d20. <laughs> I rolled a d8. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> that's a 19 on the die, so that one's also going to hit you, but luckily it is not a crit. And this time his damage is 10 points of slashing damage, which will have to 5. So um, he hits you for 10 points of slashing damage as he's next to you, and he goes, it's the end of the line, or some other similarly thuggish thing for you. That brings us to Rex. Rex is going to um, set down his piece of the machine as quietly as he, or like as gently as he can, so he's going to take pretty much a full action for that. And then he's going to move over to um, where Al, not where Alan is. He's going to move over to the far away thug, thug number two. He's going to move over next to him so that he's flanked, so that if Alan wants to attack him, there's uh, advantage there. Or if he, anyway, he's moving over there to get all up in his face. Um, and in fact, he'll roll an intimidate while he's over there to see if he can get him to, to flinch and back down. And he does. So he kind of gets up in that guy's face. You know, Rex is a big hematician dude. He gets up there in his face. He's got blood on him. You don't know if that's his blood. He gets up there and, you know, um, gets up in his face and kind of cows Thug 2. So Thug 2 will miss his next turn, Trevor. Um, okay. And then I'm assuming Sasha's next. Yes. Sasha is going to take up kind of a protective position by the two pieces of the machine. So they're both set on the ground. Um, and Sasha's going to just stand right in front of him and do that. And that brings us to the top of the round order. And a quick word picture for everybody. The inside of this gemstone hall has been repurposed from a food bank or a, or a ration delivery vehicle to more of like a choke point for the army of Gaian. 
So there are some tables that have been flipped on their sides along the walls. The, the room is circular. Uh, it's about 50 feet in diameter in total, so it's not a big room. It's small enough that everybody is in immediate reach of everybody else. There's a sort of boundary, um, almost like a, a donut, where there's like a circle inside a circle. There's a boundary of flipped tables creating some cover. And then on the inside of that cover, at the center of the room, are the two reticulators. Um, so that's where Owlin is standing along with thug number one. Clark Oneshot Jackson is inside the ring of tables, so he, he has no cover. And then Thug Number Two and Rex are both outside the ring of tables, um, fighting behind half cover. That brings us to the top of the round, which is Allen. Allen. All right. Allen's intent is to do three attacks, uh, and he'll just uh, keep slashing against Thug Number One until he dies, and then move on to Clark. Great. <laughs> From there. The <laughs> All right. First one is a 21. Okay. Does that hit? That hits. Uh, okay, he's going to... He's. I'm going to roll... Is it okay if I roll damage for them individually to stra yeah, strategize fine. these attacks? All right. Yep, and chat has cast hit harder, so all of your damage is doubled. <laughs> oh, extent. sick. All, all of theirs is too, but yeah, all damage is doubled yep. for 10 minutes. Okay, that's 5 Watch, plus 5 plus the, 2 the is... Timer. 12, 24 like is, with with the double, it's 24 damage on that first attack. Okay, great. Uh, Thug one is taking 35 damage. Thug one is taking 35 damage. He is bloody. Um, he is okay. he's not looking good, swaying on his feet. He's gonna, Alan's gonna slash again. Okay. Uh, that is not as good. That's a 15. 15 hits. Oh, great. Thug one's AC is 14. Great. Uh, that's a six plus two, eight times two is 16 damage. 16 points of damage. Uh, you hit him for 16 points of damage and he is down. Um, okay. Two has fallen from his point by the door. Alan is going to, uh, unless it would provoke an opportunity attack, he's going to go for Clark. Nope. You can get to Clark. Um, and, okay. And make an attack. All right. Final attack for the round. That is a 27, so I assume that 27 hits. 27 hits. All right. Ah, oh, another minimum damage, though. That's another 16. Okay. Uh, you, 16 is your minimum damage. With the double, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it's double. You're right. Uh, okay, Clark One-Shot Jackson has taken uh, 16 points of damage from that attack, and I think you said he's next, right, Trevor? Yes. Okay. Clark is second. So now that you are point blank, He's going to try and jam his double-barreled crossbow right into your gut and fire it. Um, he's going to roll to attack. Or roll to hit, I should say. That's a three on the die. Um, describe to me what Alan does to bat this away. Like, Alan's got to, in some way, get... Because you're so close, it can't be that he missed Sure. Um, Alan will uh, literally, like maneuver the flat of his blade against the barrels like like oh i see like like and then and so if he fires it'll just like slam against the flat of his blade great and you do feel the like you know arm shattered arm shaking like, mm -hmm. as it hits the metal um so he, he fires both barrels of his his crossbow but it doesn't hit you he's going to drop the crossbow and he's going to draw a crossbow bolt from a um sheath on his leg this is a bronze and gold plated crossbow bolt that is dripping with some kind of contact poison on the arrowhead. And he's Fun. going to take a swipe at your neck with it. Um, he's going to roll to attack or to hit, I should say. 
15 on the die plus four is 19 ah, to hit. That does hit. That does hit you. Okay. Um, oh, and this is double damage too. Roll a constitution save for me against the poison. Right. Good thing I have good constitution, but I rolled terribly. That's a nine. Okay, well, you only took six points, even with double damage. Six points of damage from the blade. Is that counting my rage? My uh, rageness? No, that's before. Okay, so you cool. take three points of damage from the blade, cool. but you take uh, 21 times two points Holy. of damage from the poison. Uh, 42 points of poison damage. Okay. okay. Um, that that takes the wind out of them. Yeah. So that's 41, just, is that what you said, or 42? 42. Okay. Um, and that's just like a huge cut, like right across your the collarbone. The answer to you know, Like a huge chink, uh, chink in the armor, basically, that he found. Yeah. And he just like gets this huge slash across you. Wow. Um, and that's going to end his turn. He gave up his move action to take a second attack. Um, Trevor, what's going on next? Next would be Thug 2, but he misses his turn, so it would go to Rex because Thug 1 is dead. Thug 2 is all intimidated by Rex being in his face. He kind of flinches back. Rex is just going to push the attack. Um, he's going to draw one of the throwing knives that made him such a problem child for us in the past. Um, and he's going to just leap for like a tackling coup de gras type of thing. Um, so he's rolling the hit. 13 plus 3 is 16 is higher than 14. He hits. Um, and he's going to, because he's stunned, I'm pretty sure that counts as a sneak attack. I actually don't know that for sure. Does anyone know that for sure? There's a bazillion rogues in here. If you don't know, we're going to say it does because I don't want to look at rule books today. I'm pretty sure it does because okay. it would give advantage. It does. Yeah. Great. So that's a sneak attack. So that'll be 4d6 plus uh, the dagger damage, which I guess is just another d6. So I'll just roll it all in d6s. And then that'll be doubled. So we've got uh, 5 plus 5 is 10, plus 6 is 16, plus 3 is 19, plus 1 is 20, times 2 is 40 points of damage as he gets just tackled to the ground by the knife. Is um, this on Thug 2 or Clark? This is Thug 2. Um, okay. Rex just tackles him to the ground. How much damage has he taken in total? Or is this all of it? Zero. Okay. That's all of it so okay. far. So he's bloodied heavily, but he is not. he's not out of the fight. Um, Sasha is going to continue taking the dodge action and defending by the um, by the other pieces of the machine. Okay. Um, and that so brings I, us to Alan. Yep. And so, as a reminder of the situation, Alan is engaged in close combat with Clark One Shot Jackson inside the barricade of tables. Outside the barricade of tables, Rex and Thug Two have disappeared. Right? They've fallen down to the ground level, so they're hidden behind the cover. And then Sasha is protecting the two pieces of the machine. Wash has a hand up. Yes. Does FP see any of this? Being no, as though we've already established. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Don't uh, worry. We'll come I'll... to what's happening up at the boat soon. No, no, yeah, no worries, no worries. Alan is going to um, go for three attacks on one shot Jackson. He's trying to finish this as quickly as possible. Great. All right. I'll just roll the three straight up. Yep. Nat, nat 20 on the first one. Ooh. Oof. That's uh, 12 on the second one. Miss. And 17 on the third one. Hits. Okay. So do you double before or after the crit? Uh, double it, dice and then double yeah. total. So yeah. he'll roll the full crit damage and then we'll double that. For him. Oof. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, All right. Bug, we see you in the chat. Right. And the score damage. 
the crit is four plus three is seven plus ten is seventeen times two is what is that 34 34 total damage on the crit 34 total damage on the crit what's his total damage trevor uh 19 nine that doesn't make and oh, and 19 then plus add 34 before the 34 um so okay. 53 total yep he is bloodied but only barely um you're you're drawing oh. blood and he's starting to look winded but he does not look like he's out if that makes sense okay well then yeah, i'm gonna roll the damage for the second slash that hit yep Four plus five is nine times two is 18. 18. Oh, wait, plus two. No, I forgot to add the rage damage to both of those. Um, plus four is 22. And that would be plus eight on the other one. So add. Just, yeah, just add 30 total, add, total damage for this. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yep. So 30 okay. more damage. Uh, and now he is not looking so hot. Let's bring us to 83. Yep. He's not dead, but he's not looking Fun. so hot. All right. Uh, Alan is also not looking so hot. Um, Alan is like breathing ragged, at, 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 but but trying to end the fight as quickly as possible. Right. Clark is. And that's the end, end of his turn. turn. Okay. Yeah, that's the end of his turn. Who's up? Clark. Ooh. Uh, okay. Clark is right up there, neck and neck with you. He's going to attack again with his um, with his dagger. Luckily, the poison oh. has been mostly wiped off and into your bloodstream. So this is just. Oh, I thought it was a crossbow a, bolt. Or yeah, it's a crossbow bolt. Oh, okay, but yeah. Mechanically, is a dagger. Sorry. Gotcha. I ruined the immersion. Ah. Uh, oh. Here comes his attack. Oh, Clark, did I one shot? He Ruining did not roll high enough with a two on the die. He goes to attack you, but I mean, he's just had the crap cut out of him. Um, he is going to attack again with his bonus action. And with a natural one, Alan gets an opportunity attack. Um, All right. Well, let's see if you hit first. 19. My man's getting sloppy. This is the killing blow, but describe it for me. Like, you know, he's going after you for a second attack with his crossbow bolt. Paint the scene. Alan Alan, uh, dodges, uses that momentum from the dodge to swing his scimitar around to cut off uh, his arm pretty much at the point where his dead eye tattoo is which would cut off the fact like cut off his hand in the fact that he's holding the thing the the crossbow yeah. bubble and cut the tattoo and then uh swing his arm around and go for the beheading nice um you get the beheading and as you do you hear a quiet grunt from the other side of the table as rex stands up having dispatched the dead eye that he's fighting to and then you hear a ding, and the particulator opens, and Fox and the King of Udril are very awkwardly standing next to each other, <laughs> making conversation. The particulator music kind of leaks into the room. Fox, the doors slide open. <laughs> Tier eight, and you see so, like just bodies across the floor. And so a lot's like, happened up. since the last time. Uh, oh, whoa! You got room in there, Alan? What, <laughs> what in the world happened here? Uh. Dead eyes, and Alan will just like emotion Rex and Sasha, and they're gonna try to squeeze in all uh, the same particulator. Yeah, so you'll well, th- so they're coming up, so you'll need to bundle into the other one. But all of you kind of try okay, yeah. and squish into the other particulator, and we'll say you manage it. It's funnier this way. The little pieces <laughs> of the machine are everyone's at a weird angle with like huge they were all pieces of scrunched together, machine, like yeah. scrunched in and right, stuff. Squeeze, the door doesn't shut the whole way, but the tolerances right. are enough that with like a little piece of metal sticking out of it, it can still kind of <laughs> go upwards and so it continues I think climbing. We're good. Um you okay so you are continuing your particulator climb like that. Um 
and so it is that you find your way to the upper tier, the the 10th tier, if you will, of Gaim. And on the 10th tier, we have many of our other friends uh, involved in some some dealings. So I would like to start with those many other friends rolling initiative. Trevor, we're going to reset initiative here and put the the other folk into initiative order. Just in case, you know. <laughs> no reason. I don't like that. Just, just in case. So, just to clarify, the friends that have been on this little side quest d- down there uh, do not have to roll initiative. No, they are not in initiative order yet. And right. when they enter the scene, they'll just enter at like you know whatever that initiative order is. That's when they'll they'll come into initiative. Yeah, chat. It's Care Bear Bears. Um. So FP got a twenty-three. And Radford got a 17. And Jeb got a 19. So all pretty good. Clara got a 12. Um, Riley got a 15. Is that everybody who is a player character who's up there? Did we do? Oh, that's Bruiser all my is player the, characters the doing stuff. That's fine. Um, okay, uh, so we're gonna use MT for mysterious thing. Uh, MT one got a twenty one initiative. MT two got a fifteen. MT3 got a 5. Mockery got a 22. Oof. This is a big, big bob on battlefield, y'all. Yeah. MT4 got a 9. MT5 got a 5. BT for big thing one got a 21. Oh, and it will go, no. it's the bigger thing, so it'll go before mysterious thing. Uh, and big thing number two got a 10. You got all that? I think you're muted, Trevor. Yep, I got all that. Uh, I'm going to roll for Zop because he's up there. Great. But do you want me to roll for Bruiser since he's in the cockpit? No, Bruiser's doing the startup stuff for the the airship, so we'll assume he's not outside and participating. Okay. And not that there will be a combat, but you know, if there's a combat, then you know, Bruiser probably would skip it. Okay. We don't want to provoke the combat wombat. Right, 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 right. Big, big mysterious thing, and mysterious things referring to the big box of of Wingle digits we got one and two because we got two boxes, right? Wingle digit mm, yeah. boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that FP is first. Okay, so I'm going to start with a word picture, and then we'll we'll bring uh, FP into the story here. So, okay, um, the the gemstone hall has not yet opened. Allen and company are not up here on the first tier. It has been maybe 
six minutes since everyone jumped randomly off the edge. No, it's been maybe more than that. It's probably been like 15 minutes of like tense. You can hear the distant sounds of dragons fighting outside. Um, you can hear, you know, kind of growls reverberating through whatever. Um, preparations are being made. Civilians are running to the edges of the city, you know, where the residential buildings are to try and hide in the walls because the, the walkways are completely exposed. There's no cover above them. Um, the airship is anchored between two pendants. So the airship is basically an anchor tied around or hooked around the, the arch part of a walkway. And then um, there's a chain leading up to the airship. And at the moment, there's a rope ladder leading back down again to that walkway. And then to either side of you, one end um, is the gemstone hall, that central building with the verticulator in it. The other end is a pendant that has been cleared basically as a landing pad. So there's no buildings on it or anything now. It's just a flat area where dragons can land and resupply. Um, and as the fight above has continued, every now and then a dragonelle or a smaller dragon will fly down and, you know, basically be met by some of the army of Gaim who will, you know, resupply it or they'll repair some armor. You know, they're all wearing kind of cowls and things. So they'll kind of repair, repair the armor and, and take care of those pieces. In the meantime, how are the four guys crew who are left on the ship arraying themselves? How have you positioned yourselves? Um, I think Jeb is bracing for the worst. Um, he is anticipating Thrax and how, and so has positioned himself on almost the bow of the ship towards the front. Um, but like in a place where he can take shelter behind, like where the front door entrance is, you know, kind of like the little part where it like goes down in the middle. Um, and he has asked FP and any others to act as guards for him. Um, and he tells them, so I'm going to fire off something big and it's important that I maintain concentration on this. Um, so FP is going to, to stick with him and Radford is going to, to post up next to him as well. FP focusing on range and taking out threats that are far away. Radford bracing himself for anything that gets close. Okay. Um, Mockery is going to position herself by the rope ladder that would lead up to the airship so that she's just prepared to repel borders, basically. What's up, Julia? Do we still have people who are loading the airship, or is it like done cargo is all on aside from mm. this one device supplies are still being moved to and from the airship so okay. that's um the the especially like the four guys like heads of staff and things like zal and marcy and you know those kinds of folks are still kind of bringing up duffels and crates and things um and and kind of Do we know about how many rounds they have left uh no we don't um okay. Flora will be Attention directing that as best she can, um, getting people in an orderly fashion up and down the ropes. And if people are struggling, she'll fly up alongside them and help out and try to um, keep keep nearby things away from them. But that's where that's where Clara will post Great. up. And actually, with that in mind, Mockery is going to wait at the base of the ladder so that if people attack, she can protect the people who are climbing. Um, so Mockery is down there. She's got a cigarette lit in one hand and she's got one of her short swords in the other hand and she's just down there with her kind of monk robes billowing. I think uh, I'm going to like you. She looks up and winks. Um, 
who's have we established? Where's um Riley and Zop? So Riley is sitting on the one of like the lower mast beams, right? Okay. And is actually just kind of overlooking everything and is actually drawing um an image trying to do her best to capture the siege of Gaim <laughs> in a single drawing. Okay. And so she's working on what she thinks is going to be her masterpiece. Great. Uh, Zap will be like on the the railing, um, just ready to defend the ship and the people, like people entering at like the top of the rope ladder, basically. So like Mockery is on one, yeah. and Zop is on the other. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. So with that scene established, remind us who's at the top of initiative order. FP. Okay. FP six two. It is your turn. Perception check, please. Yep. That is a 17 plus plus 11, so 28. And he is surveying the the entry, like everything up above the entry holes and um, is kind of going to do just like a sweep around to get like a tactical assessment of, of not focusing too hard, but just like is there things here? The things they're counting it for this, counting for that. Yeah. Um, so FP is is looking up towards the ceiling, gun locked and loaded, kind of positioned at the shoulder, keeping Jeb safe, and just sort of sweeping left to right, almost like a sentry mode type of thing has mm-hmm. been activated. And as the sensors in FT and FP's eyes kind of dilate, and you know you get that grid overlaid as you're kind of looking at the texture maps and the heat maps of things, um, FP notices several uh, several things at once. The first thing that FP notices is some rocks are being displaced off the ceiling. Now that could, like small pebbles, and that could be from fighting outside, but the dragons are mostly airborne, so it's a feature of interest that might be worth investigating. You don't see any heat, you don't see anything happening there as far as what your sensors can tell you other than the little pebbles are falling off, but they are falling off in a linear way. They're being displaced over, you know, over, over locations or over time. Um, Does he see an absence of heat? I I think he probably does. I'm not 100% sure if the spell does that or not, but we'll say yes. Um, he okay. sees maybe an absence of heat in that location um, or just the walls. Yeah, maybe it's not even an absence of heat as much as the temperature is the same for too much space. You know, this is a naturally mm. occurring rock cavern ceiling. Um, so he sees that uh, chat. The avatars are uh, in the ship. Um, except for Laredith, who is coming up to yeah, the verticulator. Except for Laredith, who's in the verticulator. Um, so... The, so you see that. The second point of interest that you see is looking into the sky above. Um, FP is able to clearly determine, even though it's nighttime, he probably channels some night vision sensors or whatever, but you're able to clearly determine that the dragons are fighting um, shadow mirror dragons, basically. So like they're also dragons. Mm. They're just made of that uh, chaos energy or that shadowy material. Um, and the third thing that FP sees is just the tiniest glint of a chain swirling in one spot and then it vanishes again somewhere on the ceiling. Oh no. There are shadow creatures here. Be mindful of poison and their teleporting abilities. We need a light set up as quick as possible. Um, Is that his action to do that big of a perception check? 
Probably is, yeah. Because that, I mean, in six seconds, that's a lot to take in and process. Okay. Who's up next? Yep, sure. Mockery. Okay. Um, Mockery uh, yells back up. I can't do anything about the light, but I can keep an eye out. And she um, drops her cigar on the ground and steps on it to put it out, draws her second short sword. And she's going to take the dodge action. So she's just, you know, posted up and protecting the, the rope ladder. Okay. Uh, next would be BT1. BT1. Uh, nothing happens for that turn. Okay, MT1. MT1. Um, there is a stealth check to be rolled. Okay. Um, make a... Well, that's okay. I'll tell everybody. That's, that stealth check is a DC 17. Um, so for, for future needs, that'll be the, the DC to beat. Uh, Trevor, next turn. Jeb. All right. Um, mm. Dang it. And you didn't see exactly where it was, FP? Negative. I saw a chain and then it disappeared. Was the chain far away? Was it like way it up in the top? On the ceiling. Somewhere on the ceiling. And how far is the ceiling up from this top tier? Well, it's 100 feet total, but you are suspended above it on your airship with its anchor. To make sure that there's plenty of safe clearance for people beneath you, I would guess you're at least 20 feet up. Um, okay. Bruiser, how high would you say it would be? You're the pilot. How high would what be? How high would you suspend the airship when it's anchored? Oh, um, well, I figured like he's not like he's not using any of the engines. He's just letting it float up. So it'd be the anchor line would be tight. He's just waiting. Right. So how much of the anchor line did you let out, though, is basically what I'm oh. asking. Uh, probably enough for people to pass under the ship. So it's not blocking the walkway. OK, so, yeah, that's probably 20 feet. Um, if okay. we're not like trying so we got to about 60 away. feet above us then. 60 feet from the deck, probably, yes. to the ceiling, then. Yes. Okay. Um, dang it. Uh, I don't know what to do. Okay, uh, I know actually know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold a firebolt um, on the blunderbuss for the next threat that comes into vision. Okay, so it's basically a delayed attack. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay. Uh, Bradford. Who's sir? Uh, Bradford. Oh. I mean, there's just like a lot of a lot of nothing going on right now. Um, yeah, Bradford's gonna follow follow suit. Oh. Unfortunately, they all got last in initiative. Most of them got last in initiative order. Yeah. What's the light situation on the deck of the ship? Uh, there is dim light being provided by some manual torches that have been set along the, um, like the railing of the main deck, but there's no magical light. Um, the the ciphers like the wiring in it has been repaired. I just I'm assuming it's not on, um, but maybe it is. I guess that's a question for you all. Bruiser, is it on? 
You turn on the lights on the ship? Uh, yeah, probably. That's okay. part of the startup sequence. So then, never mind. There's no torches. There's just a flat, normal... It is the light spell at whatever intervals along the deck are necessary to keep the deck illuminated. So the deck itself is lit, although not brightly so. You know, there's there's still the, the dim range at the edge of the light spell, and then there's another light spell and so on. Um, so there's some dimness and some shadowiness, you know, like especially where the old spa was, that room with the window blown out and stuff, that room is not functioning quite properly. Um, so it's dark in there. All right. Radford is going to uh, take a torch from his pack and light it on fire and um, just hold it out in a in a defensive stance and he is going to hold his action to attack anything that shows up. He is anticipating something to teleport within range. Okay. And he is positioning himself like between Jeb and exposed areas on deck. Cool. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch got, this, like, this little when we Avengers did this uh, triangle. Yep. We did initially, but Riley and MT2 tied. Okay. Um, let's have Riley go first. Okay. Then it's Riley's turn. I think you're, you're muted, Cleo. I don't know what you're talking about. I was just breathing with my world lips moving before I started <laughs> talking. Um, Riley would like to roll a perception check just to, as she's doing, you know, yep. her art piece. So she's looking down. Uh, she is looking down. Okay. Yes. And along the catwalk. Great. Um, and in that case, uh, 10. We'll bet you're missing Fox's stats now. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, from an artistic perspective, there's lots for her to see. But from a strategic perspective, she's not taking very much in. Okay. Um, then she ties up what she's doing with the art piece. Um, takes Tries to take like a mental image. And then rolls up her art utensils, puts them away, and then flies down to the deck. Okay. That's probably her whole turn. Yep, that's fine. She flutters down to the deck. Uh, she is a, a wheatling, kind of flutters down there. Uh, and then that brings us to MT2, Trevor. Is that what you said? Yes. Great. Um, Roll bad. Roll bad. That's not bad enough. Roll badder. Okie doke. No, that's better. Oh, Grubbug's messing with us. Grubbug has designated. <laughs> Grubbug forgot to designate who is going to do all the GM rolls for ten minutes. Grubbug, hit us in the chat with who that is uh, for ten minutes. Uh, who's gonna Who's gonna roll for me? Grubbug's internet is bad, so it may take a little bit for her to that's hear fine. you say when that. She, and then when she the chat. says it, we'll just we'll take over and we'll start the timer. Then cool. Um, I'm watching and I'll take care of the timer. Okay. Uh, Trevor, who's next? Oh, Will of the oh, Wisp Will is the rolling Wisp. on my behalf. And the timer is starting. Thanks, Great. Bay. Um, Zop is next, and he's just gonna ready an Eldritch Blast for hostile enemies. Great. And then that As brings us to friendly enemies. Yes. Mm. Frenemies, if you will. 
Uh, Clara is next. Has anybody explained to Clara that magic is working? No, I don't think anyone up here knows yet. Hey, Clara. If you get close to me, magic works. Just FYI. <laughs> it's about to get really dangerous. And, what do you uh, mean close? You mean real... like on an emotional level? Like you're cute, but you're not my type. I mean, if you felt about me and you stayed within 100 feet, yes. You said yeah. light? Are oh. you the one? No. FP said light? You need light? Yeah. Where? We need light. These things these things can travel Where? into shadows. Um, put it on you and stay somewhere in the middle. Or put it on something. I don't know. <laughs> Put it where put it where shadows are. Put essentially, wherever shadows. Yeah, um. yeah. Essentially, where shadows are, they can be dangerous. They can pop up. So, think of that. All right. This is going to take know. a lot of a lot of thinking thinking juice. But just point me where you want me. Um, Clara is going to cast dancing lights. There are four torch-sized oh. lights. Nice. With a radius of ten feet each. Um, they're here for a minute, up to 120 feet. She's going to direct one over to where Radford and company are. She's going to direct one to the base of the ladder, one to the middle of the ladder, one to the top of the ladder, unless otherwise directed. And she's going to, like, pull faces like this is not... I haven't done this in a long time, you guys. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's That's just... That's perfect. All right, just let me know where you want it to go. I, you know, yeah, I, if think you need I, to... I think I can control it. Yeah, if you need to move them, I'll let you know where. You got this. You got this. You got this. Easy, easy as pie. Am I right? <laughs> it's like magic. <laughs> yeah. Trevor? Uh, that brings us to BT2. Okay. Is it villains for a while? Uh, BT2, MT4, MT3, MT5. Okay, great. Aren't I supposed to be rolling for you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, roll... Um, Roll worse D20. than that. Roll 5d20. And tell me all their individual answers. I've got a 9, I've got a 17, I've got an 11. Okay. I've got a 14, I've got a 3. Okay. Uh, roll 3d6 for the tension pool. No ones. Okay. Uh, no ones in the tension pool. And that brings us to the top of initiative order. Everybody is posted up. Um, we're back to FP's turn. Um, nobody has really yep. moved locations with the exception of Clara is now on deck so that she is close enough to Jeb that she can use the weave, which extends 100 feet from Jeb. Um, so she's somewhere in that 100-foot range um, and and using her dancing lights to um, to keep the ladder illuminated. And then there's one... Where did you put the other one, Clara? One is around... There's like a gaggle of people that Wash is playing. Oh, yes. <laughs> One is around Wash's characters. Yes. Um, up at the this message brought to you by the Gaggle Gang. Yeah, <laughs> that's up at the bow of the ship. And then we have yeah, one at the base, one in the middle of the ladder, and one at the top of the ladder at the entrance of the ship. Okay. Unless that's already lit, and then it'll be somewhere else along the ladder that is dark. Uh, FP, it is your turn. I do not like this silence. It makes me. It makes me. Anxious, worried. I do not. I do not. And he's going to make a perception check um, to see if he can see anything else. Sure. 
Uh, that's a 24. Okay, he perceives a couple things here. The first thing he perceives is that the fight above has gone uh, silent. But looking up, you can still see the dragons fighting. Um, eerily silent. The next thing that you notice is that um, above the gemstone hall, where there's a huge steel cable anchoring that pendant to the ceiling of the cavern, there are three creatures who are at the top of that cable attempting to cut through it. Um, they, they have some kind of large machinery that you... It looks sort of familiar from what, um, what would have happened at the dig sites, which is, you know, FP was manufactured mm -hmm. at one of them. Um, similar yep. to some of that mining machinery has been anchored into the ceiling and they are just, you know, digging away. Again, you don't hear the motors of this mining machinery despite the fact that it should be making sound. Um, yes. And the third thing that FP notices is less of something you see and more of something you feel. The weight of the Cugboat shifts ever so slightly to the right and then evens back out again. There is excessive use of magic. Silence is dampening the things above. I believe something invisible has landed on the ship. And um, uh, I will say, Radford, the thing on the ship is close. I think you should do that. And uh, can I use, can FP make an intelligence check? Seeing as though you said that he was familiar with the kind of machinery at the dig sites to see if he can shoot a weak spot. Can he do like a called shot on this thing to try and knock it loose? I mean, I'm sure it's it's either magically floating or it's harnessed up there somehow. It's mounted to the ceiling sure. or something like that. Like it's not just floating. Yeah, let's do roll your attack at disadvantage because it is a called shot. Um, to and this is essential. Are you trying to dislodge it from the wall or disable the machine? Because um, the DC will be harder um, to dislodge it from the wall with a shot, but it would mean that they could not start up again. Ooh, you're giving me a risk reward, and I kind of don't like it. <laughs> um, mm. are you a gambling man? I am decidedly not, but I am next to one and would like to impress one. So I think <laughs> I am going to shoot the machine down. Okay, you're going to knock it off the wall? And this is at disadvantage? This is at disadvantage. Um, okay, well, since I didn't move last turn, yes. um, he's going to use steady aim okay. to give himself advantage so that'll and just cancel the disadvantage out. Just to a normal roll. And here we go. Here it comes. Really good. That's a 15 plus 8. Woo! That's a total of 23. Yes, I think. Yes, uh, yeah, 23 that's... to hit. Yeah. 23. Um, there is a silent to your ears little flit of sparks as your bullet impacts the metal machinery but the machine is not dislodged from the wall however two of the Oof. creatures heads turn um and and look towards you and so you you know that they're aware of you shooting at them at this stage 
I am going to... No, I can't do that. Can I? No. Nope, because that uses my bonus action. Um... FP is just gonna, like, slowly duck down. This <laughs> <laughs> is a very slow crouch. Uh, yeah, you see, he's just gonna hold very still. Okay. <laughs> Gun trained. He says, I missed. I hit the machine, but it is not falling down. I will try again. FP, you don't hear your own voice. Uh, FP whips around and um, starts doing birthday cake hand <laughs> signals. He doesn't realize the other guys don't don't know this, but at least maybe his moving will gather attention. Okay. Um, so he does that. Trevor, who's next? That would bring us to Mockery. Mockery. Mockery is at the base of the ladder. She is um, able to hear the impact of the bullet on the machine from where she's located. And so she looks up and sees it happening. Um, and she's going to tuck her short swords away and start running towards the pendant. Um, she It's going to take her the whole turn to cover the distance um, with a dash action. So she's going to just dash the length of the walkway and get to the pendant with the reticulator and begin with whatever movement is left over. She's going to start climbing the outside of the gemstone hall. Um, that will conclude her turn. Trevor, who's next? BT1. BT1. Julia, I need you to roll uh, 2d20. This is a roll at advantage. One of my d20 I previously rolled might have been a d12. I won't. <laughs> You're welcome, yeah. everyone. Roll um, that one. Highest is a 16. Highest is a 16. Okay. Um, the... Uh, Owlin and company in the reticulator, the reticulator begins shaking a little bit, um, almost like wobbling weirdly to one side. Um, Trevor, who's next? MT1. MT1. Uh, MT1 is going to leap onto the deck of the Cugboat from one of the stabilizing fins where it teleported into shadow. Um, it's going to leap up to the deck and vault the railing. And it's going to do so not quite even with Jeb. So Radford, because it doesn't know exactly where, where Radford is. And so Radford is between the two of them, but it's not an opportunity attack. The shadow creature is going to immediately lash out silently. Except oh, that Radford was holding his action. You're right. Radford's holding an action. So this creature jumps onto the deck, and as it kind of crouches and, and uh, you know, poses itself to use the chain for an attack, Radford leaps into action. Natural 20. Let's Woo! go! Let's go! Let's go! Um, and that is... That's going to be... This is getting heated. Uh, not a lot. That's... Nine points of damage as Radford uh, like whacks him almost like with the tanfa um, uh, of the the torch. So I don't know if there's any fire related damage that would be on top of that or like light yeah, damage yeah. or whatever. I'll take care of it. Um, but yeah. Okay, Trevor, um, track that damage and Julia. How much? 
Uh, well, what Wash just said. And then. Oh, I don't remember. I moved my dice. I think it was nine. It was nine. And then Julia, okay. roll a d6. Okay, eight points of fire damage. Okay. Oof. Um, and that so that attack that you prepared hits. It's going to immediately retaliate uh, and attack back. So Julia, roll an attack, please. Ten. Ten. Okay. Uh, is Radford's AC beat by an eighteen? Uh, Radford's AC is eighteen. Okay, attacker wins in a tie. So the chain. Boom. Uh, swings out to its full length. Julia, roll uh, a d12, and Radford, roll a constitution save. Four. Okay. Four points of piercing damage from the spiked chain. Okay. Um, That is a seven constitution save. Seven constitution save. Julia, roll a d8. This is um, necrotic damage, and it's permanent until you receive a greater restoration spell. I do not have a D8. I don't like you. Oh, you don't have a D8? Here. Hook it up, fam. Nice catch. One. <laughs> one. <laughs> All right. You take one permanent hit point damage. Um, I'd like to think that that is like just like a slash right? maybe like across his cheek and it just kind of... Sh- just like makes a like yeah. a little scar, like it just slows like down where into it nicks him. Time as it like, yeah, kind of whooshes past. Um, the creature is going to then use. Oh, it already used its movement action to get on the on the deck, so it's going to. That's the end of its turn. Uh, Jeb is next. Okay, and Trevor, you can change that one to Shadow Creature One now that it's been revealed. Okay. Um, Jeb is next. What the? Oh, uh, okay. Um. <laughs> You got him, right? You bet your little mole body I got him. <laughs> and Jeb is going to um, holster the blunderbuss, take the rod of luck and in one hand and reach his hand out with the other and out of the ceiling, boom, this massive uh, stone claw forms as he casts Hand of Jebediah and I'm going to use its forcefulness to smash into the uh, into the machine and try to like rip it loose. Okay, uh, Jeb, as you do this, you wouldn't be rolling, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Roll a d6. Two. Uh, okay. Um, how are we on that on that 10 minute timer? Because I keep forgetting and rolling by accident. Oh, the 10 minute timer is now up. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that roll did count. Um, so, okay, Jeb, you cast Hand of Jeb. It works exactly how you want it to. As you do, you and all the other magic users who are on the Cugboat feel a sort of shiver go across you or, or like goosebumps kind of spring up across your arm. And Jeb, your Hand of Jeb is met by a Hand of Jeb that launches out of the ceiling and slams into it. And the two of them smash together into almost like a fist bump. Um, but they like grapple each other and the, the other one is attempting to repel you. I mean, that sounds like a contested strength check. It sure does. If... Would it be contested on No, actually, it has its own strength. 
Like it has its own strength score. Oh, it does. That's Can you remind cool. me what that strength is, by the way? I just rolled for it. It has, so a, it has a strength of 26, which is a plus 8. Okay. So you you need to beat a 16. I rolled a 15 plus 8. Okay. You beat the 16. So it launches out. You smash through it. Rock bits fly out Can everywhere. he, like, have grabbed can he have like grabbed it almost like an arm wrestle thing and they're just like and then he like slams it into the machine yeah that's because he was like heading that direction that's dope um okay so yeah boom you do that i roll a couple saves those are not d20s i roll a couple saves on behalf of some folk one of them falls one of them doesn't One of them doesn't. Okay, so only one fell on their way down. They die. On their, yeah, that actually wasn't a roll for them. On their way down, Mockery lashes out with a kick, but she's not able to like coordinate the hit as they fall past. They still fall past, and they don't land on, on the ground. So that is one creature eliminated, one humanoid or whatever is, is up here on the wall um, doing work. Machine, is that anyone in initiative? Uh, yes, that would be one of the MTs. You can just pick one and take it out of initiative order. Someone who hasn't gone yet. Um, okay. The uh, the machine is still anchored to the wall in some way. Okay. <laughs> um, Jeb is going to like huddle next to FP, just like <laughs> <laughs> also crouches down. <laughs> yeah, like, like he's just like, if, they, if that thing hits me, I will just die. So, <laughs> FP, uh, don't let him hit me. Don't Trevor worry, Dad. Uh, Radford is next. Okay, Radford's turn. Radford face to face with Shadow Creature. Oh, yeah. Oh, man's gonna do it. <laughs> um, and he is going to, he's just kind of like light on his feet, kind of, kind of bopping back and forth a little bit, and we're gonna, we're gonna attack. Yeah, you are. That is a 20 to hit. Okay. Oh, and actually I meant to, before that, um, he's going to use a bonus action and the tattoo like pulls up around his uh, his arm and his big shadow maul manifests out nice. as, he, as he swings out at this thing. That's going to be D6, 2D6. So that six plus five is eleven plus one is twelve. Twelve points of damage. Six of that is force if it matters. Sure. That brings the total to twenty-nine. Twenty-nine points of damage, and because of the force damage as well, as you hit it with the maul, it kind of backpedals over the railing and falls off the ship. It does not fall to its death. It catches itself on the stabilizer, like the little fin down there below. Um, but it has fallen back off. And um, as as Radford sits there looking at the results of his work and as the kind of dark tidings that surround you remain, as the silent to your ears fight above continues happening as Clara struggles to maintain her dancing lights, keeping your, your deck safe from the teleportation abilities of the shadow creatures as Owlin and company are wedged tightly into a reticulator that they do not know is in danger of being dropped from the 10th tier of Gaim to the ground. As all those things happen, tonight's Dungeons and Dragons session comes to a close. And we set the stage. Um, next Monday. What? Thanks everybody for hanging out.
You can't do that to us. Oh, I can. You just did. I just did. What? It just happened. Thanks, everybody, but, for rocking uh, with us. No, uh, that we're just great. happened. We think you're all awesome. In the voice of Gunner, what do we tell the people? Well, we tell them GG and GN. That's no, right. We tell them. Bye, everybody. This is-